and welcome to another episode of the Alice Zero podcast. My name is Piotr Moczurat. You may also know me as Peter Rinsky, and I am the ecosystem tech lead at Alice Zero. And I will have the pleasure of hosting today's episode. Today's meeting will be dedicated to exploring the Rust programming language and uh, why we decided to choose it to develop Alice Zero. I'll be joined by Alice Zero's very own Michał Hanslik, whom we affectionately call Hans, uh, to illuminate us on the subject. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. So without further ado, let's jump right in and uh, to my first question, which would be, out of all the languages currently available, why has Aleph Zero decided to use Rust? Uh, well, first and foremost, because Rust is just a great language. It's, um, it's fantastic to work with, and I'm a really big fan of it. But uh, to give some, some broader perspective, uh, Rust is a very new language. It's been around for less than a decade. And it's a system programming language, which means that it's this very low-level, general programming language, kind of similar maybe to C++ in, in many aspects. Um, and it has been designed and created in, in uh, sec uh, like, I think the first version uh, was released sometimes in 2015. So compared to, to other uh, languages uh, in in this uh, in this bracket, uh, for example, the C plus plus mentioned earlier, it's a very very new language, and it has been um, designed to tackle challenges that are uh, that the computing industry is facing in the twenty first century. So, uh, one of the main advantages of it is that it doesn't really need to bother about dragging behind it the tale of four decades of backwards compatibility. It can just focus on uh, the problems and applications that are um, uh, that the computing industry is facing today and try to solve them in the best possible way. Um, one of the most uh, characteristic and revolutionary features of Rust is its almost paranoid approach to um, memory security to security in general, mostly memory security and type security, and because of that, it has been almost uh, immediately recognized as a uh, as a great building tool for all kind of uh, applications where the security is critical. Uh, now, as we speak, there are already parts of uh, Linux kernel or uh, like uh, very deep internals of Microsoft Windows that has been uh, rewritten to Rust because of its superior performance and, uh, and superior safety. Uh, so it's probably not very surprising that uh, it has been very eagerly picked up by the uh, Web3 and crypto community because we all know how important uh, safety and efficiency in, in this kind of applications is. Sure. Uh, as a consequence, it uh, has been widely adopted in the in the Web three community, and um, the main uh, the main uh, software stack that Aleph Zero uses to build its uh, uh, to build the Aleph node, the, the main uh, the main workhorse of our of our blockchain, is based on Substrate. It's this amazing software stack uh, written by uh, people uh, behind the Polkadot community. Uh, parity technologies namely and uh, and it's written in rust so uh, right. 
it's uh, it's very easy to to you know jump on that wagon. And uh, this decision was partially motivated by us uh, wanting to go with the fastest and the safest tool that is around there, but also by the fact that uh, Substrate. Uh, library offered a lot of solutions that we could just take out of the box and use straight away instead of having to re-implement it uh, on our own uh, you, if we decided to use some other language. Right. And uh, well, as far as I know, and this is before my time at LS0, so uh, I'll actually uh, be happy to pick your brain here. But as far as I know, the decision to use Rust didn't happen in an instant. It was something that we arrived at after some consideration and actually uh, initially using Golang, actually another uh, language in the, the similar uh, ballpark as, as Rust. Am I right? Why, why, why even you know, start with Golang and then change? That's a good question. And let me, let me walk you uh, here through some Aleph Zero ancient history because it all started around when five years. When I was years very, very young. <laughs> <laughs> when I was very young, and uh, uh, and it all started with uh, with the consensus, with this idea that uh, Adam Gongol and Michal Schwendek had to uh, uh, to create a new super fast, super secure consensus protocol. And uh, after the initial phase of, you know, theoretical development, uh, we decided that it's the time to to implement it and to put it into test in a in a real world. And we picked Golang for the reasons that are kind of similar to Rust. It's a relatively new language. It's quite simple and it's a language that was built around the idea of concurrency so this uh, this programming paradigm that your program is not like a one line of instructions that are being executed in sequence but it can be composed of multiple uh, threads multiple lines of instructions that then interact with each other i mean this kind of paradigm is something that is pretty much a uh, base of any kind of uh, computer system or or, com or programming language nowadays, but Golang has this feature that it was kind of built with this idea as the as the priority. So it's a it's a simple language and it very easily allows to to uh, implement concurrent programming, and it's also quite fast. So uh, around that time we didn't really know Rust too well. And we had this uh, good experiences from from previous projects with uh, with Golang, so we decided to uh, to go with Golang. And the initial implementation, I think you can still find it on our uh, GitHub repositories, was the Aleph consensus, now called Aleph BFT, uh, written in Golang. So we mm, uh, we implemented this consensus and then we put it into into some tests and we, to be honest, I, I, I still remember how surprised I was when we analyzed the, the results of the first test because this thing turned out to be just ridiculously fast. But um, it's probably important to mention here that blockchain is not only about the consensus. Blockchain is a system that's a distributed network of nodes 
without central leader. These nodes need to talk to each other. They need to sync their state. The consensus is, what I'm trying to say here is that consensus is only one piece of the whole puzzle. So you need to have mechanism for uh, for, uh, accepting new transactions from the users, for sharing these transactions uh, in a thing called mempool between different nodes, then for creating blocks, then for establishing consensus of what actually the next block contains and what is the right block out of the possibly large set of of candidates and then apply all the transactions in the block that result in some change in this uh, thing we call state, which is like a distributed database held by the blockchain. So yeah, we had this brand new shiny Golang implementation of the of the consensus algorithm that was just super fast. And then we realized that there are well, maybe not not that we realized that at this moment, but then we were facing a situation in which in which we need to write all other pieces to make the Aleph node uh, reality, and it's a lot of work. And around that time, we uh, found out that there is this uh, thing called Substrate, uh, which I already mentioned. It's a big software library, a collection of uh, tools that help to build blockchain. You can think of it in such a way that a blockchain node is this machine made out of several components that need to interact with each other. And Substrate is just a big book with blueprints uh, for Uh, all these components. And it was written in Rust, as I mentioned before. So we had this long and important meeting uh, in which we were trying to uh, establish further strategy. Should we go with our own in-house implementations in Golang of all other components and try to follow our own path? Or maybe we should uh, try to uh, rewrite the consensus in Rust And then this, of course, requires a significant effort to take the code in one language and then properly write it uh, in a different language. But then we are given this benefit of having many of the components that we need kind of standardized and waiting there for us to just pick them up and, uh, and build our note around it. So we decided that it's more promising to to actually switch to Rust. It gives us a much faster time to market and we are kind of like standing on shoulders of giants. So all the components of of Aleph Node that we took from Substrate are well battle tested because the whole Polkadot ecosystem, meaning the Polkadot and Kusama and all the parachains have been using uh, these components for quite some time. So they are much more reliable and much more battle tested than like a greenfield implementation in Golang that we would otherwise need to uh, do on our own. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think, uh, like, looking back, I think it, it was a really wise decision. I think uh, it's a it's a common fallacy of, you know, taking taking on too much work and scope creeping and whatnot and thinking we can, you know, we can do everything better. But but in reality, you need to pick your battles. And I, I think this 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 was a good battle to pick, basically. Uh, and now we Yeah, can... but I think it's also important to stress here that uh, even though Golang and Rust are both great languages and i personally as a as a developer love to work in both of them 
I think Rust is just better suited for this kind of applications that we're doing here. I mean, the safety and efficiency of it is pretty much completely unparalleled when it when it comes to the the broad general landscape of programming languages. So, yeah, even though initially we thought Golang is the ideal blockchain uh, language, we we kind of grew to to accept the the conclusion that uh, that rust is the way to go and it seems like that we are kind of right because the uh, rust is is taking not only the web3 uh, industry but in general computing industry it's it's taking it kind of by storm it's getting more and more popular every year and uh, my prediction is that if this trend keeps it's going to become the de facto main system programming programming language within the next decade or so right yeah and i I think for good reasons i mean i personally come from a more of a functional programming background and even even there everyone really respects rust so it's kind of amazing what they did with the language by the way um but speaking of substrate and you you mentioned this was kind of a pivotal decision and 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 a huge uh, stepping stone for for Alex zero but i wonder you know what what's like what is what is it like to develop on top of substrate day to day uh how does it you know influence the developer experience or even the architecture the decisions that are made so so basically you know what's the team's experience so yeah, as I mentioned before, the substrate is this general node uh, blockchain node template. You can think of it as a as like a, a Canva, and this Canva has slots for for multiple different components. So you can pick your own syncing uh, block syncing mechanism. You can pick your own consensus engine. So our experience was mostly. Uh, trying to rewrite Aleph Consensus, which in Rust, uh, we, we we coined the name Aleph BFT for that, and it's also available on our GitHub page. You can you can go and you can use it, you can, you can pick it and you can use it for, for other applications because it's kind of self-contained. But the first main challenge that we faced was trying to kind of put our consensus in a box that is compatible with Substrate. There were a few problems that we had to tackle on the way, but in general, I think that the project was very successful and we ended up with a, with a really nice integration of our own ideas into this well-designed and, and battle-tested software stack. So many uh, components, we just used the default ones because they were just so good. So the first version of Aleph Node was, was pretty much the all the good things that are there in Substrate with consensus provided by our own implementation of, of Aleph BFT. Um, amazing, but I, I wonder, you know, because I, I look at the at the block times of Aleph Zero at the times to finality, and it seems that most of the blockchains are not really designed to handle such such speeds and throughputs. So I wonder if you know using this this kind of out of the box framework, uh, sophisticated, sophisticated as it might be, uh, was any you know like fine tuning necessary to to actually make this keep up with Aleph BFT basically? Oh yes, when it comes to that, we are really pushing uh, Substrate to its limit. So the usual block times in the Polkadot ecosystem that that, that uses. 
substrate are um, on the order of six, 12 seconds. And we decided that we, because our consensus is so fast, it can finalize blocks in less than a second. We decided that if we have, if the, the, the most crucial part of the, uh, of the blockchain protocol uh, that we have is so fast, there's no reason to make, uh, to compromise it by uh, making other components to be the bottleneck. So our ambitious decision was to try to configure a substrate in such a way that it achieves one second block time. And it obviously came with its own set of challenges and it kicked us in a in the back a couple of times, but in general, I think we succeeded and uh, the, the result was uh, was very satisfying. That's that's amazing to hear. Uh, well, because I think it's worth noting that, that the speed we're talking about here is not just a theoretical exercise in vanity. It's it's basically the first thing that the, that the user notices, right? When trying to make a transfer or interact with the smart contract. So it's... Uh, it's a lot of work, but but I guess it's it's really worth it uh, from the from the user's perspective. But oh yeah, that was incredibly satisfying when we first started our testnet or later mainnet, and then first user uh, users uh, came and they started experimenting with the network and doing transactions. Like the one of the most common comments and then feedback that we got was this thing is so fast that I could barely notice when when my transactions happened how how do you guys do it so yeah like all our hard work that we put into into squeezing the one second block time out of substrate it was it was well rewarded we we were so happy to uh, to see that it actually really works that well in in practice in the real world environment that's that's amazing. But since we are doing this from developers to developers podcast, I would like to stay in the kind of developer experience area and uh, talk about using Rust itself. So going actually down the level, because while everyone agrees, so like the Stack Overflow surveys and everything, uh, that Rust is, is an incredible language, it also has the reputation for being quite hard to learn and quite hard to master. So I wonder, are there, are you, is the development team actually facing those challenges as well? Yes, of course. I mean, um, I completely agree with the statement that Rust is difficult to learn. It uh, it features several um, mechanisms, several paradigms that are pretty much not present in any other programming language. So if someone may be familiar with other programming languages like Java, Python, C++, uh, tries to pick up Rust, they are going to, even if this person is, you know, like a developer with 20 years of experience, when picking up Rust, they are going to face new stuff. They are going to encounter notions that they never heard before, and they would need to, maybe it's a, it's a bit of an overstatement, but they would need to learn a new way to think about the computer code because of all the enforcements that Rust uh, put, uh, puts on, on programmers. Yeah, so... And, <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic to work with if it works, but if it doesn't, oh man. Like, um, the, the Rust compiler is the most unforgiving piece of of tooling that I have ever worked with. It's uh, it's obviously a consequence of the... Fa of the, of the 
design of the language. It's so fast because it does a lot of optimizations. It's so secure because it enforces a, a lot of uh, hard constraints and rules over the programmer. So the mm, the slogan, which obviously is not 100% true, but, but, but I think it gives a good description, is that in Rust, if something compiles, it works. And that means that the errors you would, in other languages, maybe encounter later when you test or when you deploy your uh, system to a test environment, in Rust, you need to face them before you can compile. Compiling is the process of taking a computer code and translating it from this human-readable programming language to machine-readable zeros and ones. And yeah, before you compile, you cannot run your program because your program is not there in the form understandable by computers. So uh, in Rust, you have to put a lot of effort sometimes to even make your program appear, happen. Right. Yeah. And, and oftentimes I hear, you know, about statically typed languages, especially with strong type systems like Rust. Oh, but, but I'm not productive as a developer because I have to I have to fight with a compiler. Well, yes, you you have to, but then you you won't have to put out fires in production, which I think is a, actually a trade off that that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think it's a pretty good deal. I mean, yeah. um one thing is that Rust compiler is so restrictive. It's very strict, and it uh, it will always often forbid you from doing things that you seem intuitive because your intuitions were developed while working with different programming languages. But um, to give it uh, some credit, it has excellent error messages. So usually, it just like uh, tells you exactly what you did wrong and often suggests how to fix it and the suggestion is actually quite good i mean like sometimes working with with the rust compiler resembles a little bit interaction with chat gpt you're some sometimes amazed how well this thing interacts with you and how vocal and helpful it is while giving you hints to achieve your goals so yeah, there's a there's a learning curve. The, you need to spend some time both learning the language and both uh, and and also learning to interact with the compiler. But once you get proficient with that, the overall developer experience I think is pretty good. Another problem that uh, faces uh, well, it's a it's not really a, a problem that you face as an individual trying to to develop something with Rust. But if you have a project. Uh, that, and you have a team of, of, of people who work on it, and the project is in Rust. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges is to find people who are actually able to program Rust. The, the, as, as I mentioned before, the language is kind of booming in popularity, and uh, there are much more there is much more demand uh, for Rust developers than the, than the than there are people who who can do it well. So uh, I think one of the biggest challenges over the course of the Aleph Zero project was uh, to actually find people uh, to join our team and to help us build and develop uh, our software. Right. I mean, I, I remember joining Aleph Zero. I was definitely not a Rust expert, but I've been I've been taught. It's uh, it's been one of the great perks of of joining. Actually, it's it's been really uh, it's it's been a great learning experience. Uh, but moving on, uh, since, well, I 
I suppose most of the listeners are not actually planning to to develop a blockchain nor a consensus for that matter. Uh, but but well, I guess you can use Rust to do other things as well, right? So any use cases that might be interesting to to our listeners? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, Rust has this amazing feature uh, out of uh, among other amazing features. It's very um, extendable and configurable language. Like the the there are some mechanisms in the language that allow you to to pretty much build your own language on top of Rust, if it makes sense. And then you can have your um, dedicated language to do exactly what you want to do that uh, relies on Rust and gets all the great features of Rust. So the, the efficiency, the safety, and and uh, the great collection of, of uh, tools and libraries. One of such uh, applications is writing smart contracts. There is this project called Inc., which is a smart contract programming language that is developed on top of Rust. It allows uh, you to take regular Rust code, change a few lines, add a little bit of, as we say in, in programming, syntactic sugar, and suddenly your local program that was meant to be run on your local computer can be turned into smart contract, uh, which can be uploaded to to the deployed to the blockchain, and yeah, do what the smart contracts do in the wild. That's that that's amazing, but I cannot help but but wonder, you know, uh, with all the talk of Rust's complexity and the steep learning curve and an unforgiving compiler. Uh, how does it look like from the perspective of a smart contract developer, right? Uh, obviously, you want a lot of people writing smart contracts. Uh, so isn't, you know, isn't using Rust here a barrier for entry? A little bit, yes, because you need to learn new language. But the same thing could be sa said about Solidity, uh, which is now the de facto standard of writing smart contracts. It's a language developed, uh, created purely for uh, creating smart contracts on Ethereum and other uh, EVM-compatible uh, blockchains. But... Uh, one thing that we should mention here is that smart contracts are very specific types of programs. They are relatively simple compared, like if you compare uh, even the quite a complicated smart contract with something like a blockchain node, the blockchain node is a huge monstrous machine and smart contracts usually are single files or maybe collection of two, three different uh, files that sometimes can even fit on a single screen. So the actual subset of Rust that you would practically use in smart contract development is just a tiny portion of Rust. And this tiny portion is the thing that Rust has common with all other programming languages. So, you know, things like uh, classes, methods of these classes, for loops and, and, and whatnot, basic, basically basic data structures and, and basic control flow operations. So, yeah, if you're a complete newcomer and you don't really want to learn Rust with all its bells and whistles, it's still a relatively approachable task to just learn the very basics, how you express basic uh, programming uh, concepts in Rust, and then... Uh, with just this knowledge and this little 
bit of, of syntactic sugar that we call ink. You can, you can be a pretty successful smart contract developer relatively easily. You don't need to spend too much time uh, developing your toxic relationship with the Rust compiler. Uh, you can, you can s uh, very quickly become productive and, and start to deploy your smart contracts to a live blockchain systems. Uh, speaking of becoming productive, I well, huh, I take a look around the Alizero repositories and documentation uh, every so often. So, can you tell us a bit about that? So, about the tutorials that uh, may or may not may not be available, or at uh, you know, like additional tooling that Alizero is building. Yeah, sure. We were kind of. Um... Maybe not forced, but but this was the only reasonable choice. So as I mentioned before, uh, we are facing this problem that we really need people because the the project is growing, but we don't really there's really not enough uh, Rust developers on the market. So we decided to go for a bit different strategy. We decided that we're going to uh, look for people who are bright, who are smart, who are uh, passionate about the Web3 and blockchain uh, industry, and we're going to teach them Rust. Because if they're smart and passionate, they're going to pick it up easily. So as a consequence of that, we had to create quite a few onboarding uh, tracks. And, uh, well, a lot of materials that we use that can be used by people who just joined and uh, would like to pick up Rust and Substrate relatively quickly so that they can start contributing to the project. So that was like our original experience with being Rust educators. We need to educate each other. But then it, it kind of followed... Uh, uh, followed further and we are trying to actively go to the world uh, to the outside world and share the message of how great rust and ink is well probably you are the right person to to, to describe it well because you are uh, the one who gives the most workshops but we have a uh, we have a lot of materials that uh, like tutorials that we that we share on our websites that help people help to somehow lower the entry barrier for for becoming a smart contract developer in in rust uh, we also have the series of incredible workshops given by mostly you but also you, other people <laughs> from uh, from our team yeah and and, and i think maybe uh it's a good time to mention mention some some tooling that that we try to kind of give back to the to the ink ink and rust community uh i think mostly mostly the ink community right so i've been i've been actually exploring this space a bit and i uh stumbled upon a tool made by one of our developers that allows you to to run ink outside of the whole chain context. So you don't need a node, you don't need a testnet, you can just experiment with it like with any other programming languages. I I think it's uh, it's pretty amazing if you want to, you know, get up to speed with development and and actually get the speed while developing. Yeah, totally. Uh, so um, I think this is like the most serious challenge that uh, we are facing now not only we as Aleph Zero, but there are also several other blockchains that decided to uh, embrace this new uh, smart contract ecosystem, namely Inc. And uh, yeah, um, 
it's not uh, it's not easy. We are at the very beginning, and this thing is is, is pretty much brand new, and we are trying to be competitor to to Solidity and and EVM, which is. Uh, an ecosystem that has been growing and being developed by uh, thousands of developers all over the world. And we are here on square one, just starting. So obviously we don't have as many uh, great tools and libraries and educational materials. But uh, I think that uh, the general Rust vibe of the whole ecosystem around the language is that of a, it has a very strong... Uh, embracement of community. So there are a lot of people who contribute by writing new convenient Rust tools and libraries. There are a lot of people writing educational materials. In general, the, the, the Rust, the, the whole general Rust developer community is, uh, maybe it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it feels like a one big family. So, so people are very eager to help each other and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, um, initiative uh, to make the whole ecosystem better and exactly the same kind of um, kind of vibe can can be seen in this uh, it is uh, just being born ink ecosystem so we have several uh, projects uh, who are who already embrace it and and deployed the the ink smart contracts modules to to, to their blockchains and here in Aleph Zero, we feel very responsible for trying to make this first initial stage of the life of this ecosystem as approachable for newcomers as possible. So uh, we've been developing and sharing several open source tools, like the one you mentioned before. Uh, also, there's a tool called Ink ink wrapper that we developed in-house and then we shared it. We are in a close collaboration with other projects that develop on top of ink and also with uh, people from Parity Technologies that are creators of ink. And all together, we are trying to really hard to you know, address all, all the shortcomings that come from the fact that this ecosystem is brand new and um, maybe lacks a little bit of tools and educational materials. So we're putting a lot of effort into giving back to the community to try to, together with other projects, to put a solid foundation for this new Inc. ecosystem because we, we firmly believe that it's a really viable alternative to the current state of the art being Solidity and EVM. And we actually believe it's quite a bit better. So we would really like to see it grow and become more popular. Right. I, I think this also deserves a you know shout out to, to our community, both the developer community and the user community, who are you know just a great group of people, very, very engaged, very helpful, very understanding. So so yeah. Thank oh, you. Oh yes, these Thank people are absolutely fantastic. All the uh, all the projects that uh, contacted us that are uh, trying to develop uh, their products on our platform, we are in, in close contact with them and they contribute a lot. Just to mention uh, one from the top of my head, there's this Azero Domains uh, project that uh, has... It's Azero ID now. 
Actually. It's a zero ID. I'm sorry. Same great I, project, but but new branding. Uh, I got it confused. Sorry, but they developed this amazing uh, in Caton scaffolding. I would say it's just a ready-to-use project consisting of, on both front end and smart contracts back end that you can just take out of the box and modify and and uh, have something a prototype of your application working within a few hours. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I I think it actually solves one of the biggest problems of people not knowing how to how to start, how to get into ink development. Well, there there you have it. It's a it's a great step towards like further adoption. Okay. I well, I think I think we've covered uh, all of all of my questions. Um, so I think we should be we should be slowly wrapping up. Uh, thank you so much for for taking the time to. To give us the insights of the inner workings of Aleph Zero on some historical background behind the decisions, I was actually uh, really that was re- really interesting even for me to to hear about that. You know, being an employee of Aleph Zero, but but I, I didn't know all the all the backstories, so it was really interesting. I hope everyone else will enjoy it as much as I did. And um, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. I'm really looking forward for uh future uh episodes of the podcast uh i'm happy to share uh my opinions and uh my point of view on this thing and also a little bit of obscure history of of the project um thank you everyone for uh tuning in and uh yeah have a good day have a good day see you on twitter on discord on telegram everywhere bye everyone bye